Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accents and you stay for the principles. We have a, a show today that's going to be very interesting. It's going to be rather different. Um, I think, spoiler alert, just for people who listen, because I know a lot of people listen with their kids, maybe this is a show. You might want to repress pause on and get the kids out of the room and not listen with them. Or if you feel that they need to hear it, listen to it first, because we're going to talk about something really upsetting. Um, but before we do, I want to just I just have a quick announcement. Um, I know there's been a few different posts going on online about myself and different tours. I'm going to just cut all the, the BS that you don't need to know about. Um, I'm still coming to your country. And um, even though you're president, there's an opening up. Um, I'm going to Turkey for 14 days to isolate. I'll be there in September. I'm going to be there for 14 states. I'm going to be in Alabama, Tennessee, um, Georgia, Michigan, South Carolina, North Carolina, Kansas, Texas, Florida, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Utah, and Arizona. I'm looking forward to meeting some of you guys at some of the events, but I don't care what's happening. The time to talk about the idea of America and the narrative of America telling your stories is more important now than it has ever been before. And I don't care what the CDC says. I'm getting to your country and I'm going to share a message. It's going to cost me about an extra two and a half thousand dollars. I don't have it, but we'll find a way. It's now is not the time to, to cower or lie down. Now is the time to speak up. And I'm going to do that. Nothing's going to stop me. So I just want to let you all know that. With that being said, now it's down to business. And Today's going to be a different show for one reason. If you listen to this show long term, you know I talk about what government shouldn't do. You know, government shouldn't be telling you you should wear a mask. Government shouldn't be getting involved. Government shouldn't be spending money it doesn't have. Government should be limiting to the Constitution. But today we're going to talk about things government actually should do. And today I'm joined by a person who does a lot of great work, and I encourage you to look her up online after this show. It's a lady called Megan Fox. I asked her just in the in the show prep if she liked to be called a journalist, because it's not exactly a, a nice term, but that's what she is. She does a lot of journalistic work on a topic of government overreach when it comes to kids. Megan, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So... Let's start with the easy questions, so because you know, I, I want to get, I don't want to get, I don't want to sort of blow a gasket in the first five minutes because I know you're very calm and very cool, and we have guests in the show, and we always have great discussions. But this is one I'm going to try and be calm with. You, what made you start speaking out in general, becoming a writer? So you work for PJ Media, um, and you you write yeah. and you do a lot of different topics. But what made you want to become a journalist and, and kind of write about topics? Mm. 
That's an interesting question. I, I, you know, I've written my whole life ever since I was a kid. Uh, I, I wrote. I just am a writer. That's what I do. And I've done it since I was a child. Um, I never really knew I was going to become a journalist. I was working, I was, I was actually trying to get into radio broadcasting. Um, I was working at, uh, uh, WLS in Chicago. I was, uh, I worked for Rush Limbaugh's uh, syndicator premier radio networks for a while. Uh, I worked in radio and, um, but at the same time, I, I kept a blog and because I, I'm a writer and I just, I, I have to write. And it was mostly political commentary. I'm sure if, if that was stuff was still available, I'd be horrified at whatever it was I wrote back then. Cause you know, my, my opinions and views have changed a whole lot in, in, since I was 20, you know? Um, but, I one day I saw there was my aunt told me there was an advertisement for um, uh, a blog that was starting up for David Horowitz's new uh, website called Newsreel Blog. And it was like a spinoff of Front Page Magazine. And they were looking for writers. And she said, why don't you send them your stuff? Because they were specifically looking for women who were conservative. And uh, so I did. I sent my stuff in and they hired me. And I thought, well, Jesus, I didn't know I could be hired to write for money. And I, I did mostly political opinion writing at the time. And it was really exciting for me because I never considered that that was an option. I did take journalism in college. I was very interested in it. Um, I'd never graduated college. I, I decided to go and just start working. I, I was tired of being told what to do. Um, but that was my first job in writing. And that led to PJ Media, where I've been for the last whoa, 10 years now. But so that was about maybe 17 years ago. Um, wow. Yeah, it's been a long time and I've been a writer for a very long time and I do broadcasting as well. I have a podcast now um, and I fill in and locally on, on, uh, on the radio station here in Rochester, WHAM, WHAM 1180. And um, it's a lot of fun. And, but yet I, I didn't start doing really investigative work. That was the next question. How did you get into yeah. what we're going to talk about, you know, in the, in the childhood? Yeah, because most of my writing has always been opinion, you know, opinion in some comedy and some satire. And then what happened was that I just found, as a parent, you know, I became a mom. And I started hearing these stories about, um, I started homeschooling, and I started hearing these stories about people who were, you know, oppressed by the state because of homeschooling and they sent social services to the house and the kids were taken away and all these awful stories. And HSLDA is a big organization that helps homeschoolers with legal uh, problems. And I was a member of that. And I would get this newsletter all the time that would tell me about all these terrible things happening across this country to homeschoolers. And that really led me into more investigative work because I started looking into some of these cases that involve CPS and homeschooling. And what I found absolutely horrified me as far as government overreach in, in the re removal of parental rights um, and the unfair, the, just the way that the state has so much power. And as a conservative person, that's something we're supposed to be concerned about, big government, overreaching government. Uh, and so I did. I started, I started researching more into it and started covering those cases and looking for them specifically. And that led me into the family court um, investigation that I'm in now, uh, family court which is where all these CPS cases take place and where the abuses take place are very secretive courts um, in not only just the United States, but in, in England as well. It's very, very bad there. It's even worse in England than it is here because uh, some of our courts are open here still. Um, they can seal them for any reason and they claim it's for the privacy of the children. But all that does is hide what's really going on behind closed doors. And that's a whole lot of violating of, of constitutional rights. 
Absolutely. So before we get to, because I want to talk to you about some stories that you, you've covered, and I think it's important to sort of bring those stories to light and, and, you know, put a real focus on them because that's what people will relate to. I think it's, I always think it's critical to sort of lay a foundation of, of principles and then we can talk about the stories and sort of see where, you know, we, you know, we have common ground with, with people who will listen. So I believe, you know, that America is exceptional because of the idea of government's job is not to give rights or to take rights away, but it's to protect your rights. Would you agree with that statement? Oh, absolutely. So when you talk about rights, I think, you know, we I I know it's not fair. I I think I believe in equality. Everyone has rights. But for me, I know I get called up white night and stuff. When you start violating kids' rights, when you start violating older people's rights, and even when, you know, if you hit a girl in front of me, you do stuff, I'm going to go crazy. It's just, you know, whereas if you did, you know, if you slapped a guy and kind of go, you're a jerk, don't do it. Do it to a girl or to someone more defenseless. And I'm not saying women are defenseless because you got to be careful in this world, but it just (laughs) hurts something in you, you know, that defensive thing. When you talk about what we're going to talk about, we're talking about kids here. We're talking about people who are very young. These are the most vulnerable people along with older people who need our protection. So does government have some role in protecting kids? Absolutely, they do, and and I would not argue with that. What I, what the problem here is, and and this is and this is always a very uh, it's a hot topic, and people get upset about it because there are many people in this country who are foster parents who are who are wonderful people, right? And they are doing what they do because out of the goodness of their hearts because they want to help children in need. And there are social workers who work at CPS who also feel are doing it for the same reasons for, and they're trying the best they can. And it's a difficult job. You know, in, in my reporting, I get a lot of criticism that says, you know, not all social workers are like this. You just keep finding the worst examples. Well, how many worst examples do I need to find before we start saying there's a systemic problem here? It's not, this is not, it's like when people say it's only a few bad apples in the police force. Really? A few bad apples? Because I don't see that. I see as as a journalist and the stories that I look into, I also report on a lot of police abuse and police overreach. And what I see is a, a system that is set up in a way where big government always wins. And, and that's, and that, and that means that the people who work for these institutions, they become callous and they become, uh, they're not trained properly and they become, you know, just jaded by their jobs to the point where they're not doing their jobs anymore. And there's a real problem. And I don't mean to impugn the entire system, although, Maybe I do. I think the whole system needs to be torn down and redone. I don't, I think government has a role, right? The government has a role, but you know who has a bigger role in protecting children? We do. The community does. People in the neighborhood do. You know, at this point, CPS and the children's, and when I say CPS, I'm talking about the Child Protective Services, which goes by a lot of different names in, in our country. There's DCF, DSS, social services. It's all the same thing. I think that people now it's so bad. The system is so bad. And we know that the U.S. State Department has told us that out of the foster children, they find runaways. Eighty percent of them came from foster care in, and they're the 
the kids they rescue from sex trafficking. 80% of sex trafficked kids were in foster care. The system is so bad now that it, when you hear, if you should hear of a child being abused in your neighborhood, you are that child is far better off if you take care of it yourself. If you go over to that house and you tell that guy who was abusing the kid, don't do this anymore, or we're going to come for you in the middle of the night. Uh, or if you find a, another solution, find a neighbor to take the child in, find someone who can care because what's going on with our official system, the government system, oh my God, it's horrific. Kids are dying. They're being abused. They're being sold into sex trafficking. And, and you know what's happening with the kids coming over the border? They're being sent into our foster care system, a foster care system that we know is completely broken. Kids are in group homes where they're being abused, where they're not getting, they're not getting food. I've got kids sending me pictures from group foster homes of their refrigerators of food that's completely covered in mold. And, and you know, this is something that we cannot just turn a blind eye to, and the government is never the answer. Um, while yes, the government has some responsibility, the people have more of a responsibility to make sure that our government is doing what it is we pay them to do. I agree. So the reason I started with that question was because one of the things when I do a lot of talking, there's some people who will message me privately and go, oh, there you go again. You know, you, you wrap it in the Constitution, but you know, you, all, you just want anarchy. And I'm not. I'm not an anarchist. I'm a constitutionalist, and that's why I ask because I I, I wanted I knew I wanted to sort of preempt that question. When I say the government has a role, let's just take the worst case scenario. You know, one parent or two people have a kid and they're beating it and abusing it and stuff like that. Does the government have a role? Forget that, that it's not a the system doesn't work the way you want it to do. But that just as sure, a principle, because overall, it's a crime. Do they have a right let's to talk about crime. First of all, yeah. child abuse is a crime. We have an entire mm -hmm. system set up to pro to uh, prosecute crimes. Child abuse mm -hmm. is a crime. So you would think that if you had that scenario you just talked about, you would think that if two parents are beating the hell out of their kids, they're going to be arrested and charged with a crime. That is not what usually happens. See, okay. if they were arrested and charged with a crime, they would go to criminal court. And in criminal court, they would have, there's a very high standard of proof. Uh, you have to be proven guilty Unless, you know, there's, I mean, you've proven you're, you're innocent unless they can prove that you're guilty, which is good. And we should, we should want that for everyone accused of a crime. The issue with these child welfare offices is they take it out of criminal court and they, they put it into civil court where the burden of proof is far lower. And, and why don't parents who are being, if these people are really beating the hell out of their kids, then they need to be arrested and tried in criminal court and go to jail. And in those cases, yes, foster care is a, is a good option. Um, I, personally think, I, I think orphanages, I don't think that's a terrible idea, uh, especially when you're talking about the foster care system is now so overwhelmed and so unsupervised. At least in orphanages, you have the ability to supervise, especially with today's technology. There could be way, way, way more supervision. Um, but I'm getting off topic. The criminal court system is set up to protect your rights, uh, and to also bring justice. If these people were tried in court, I believe they would get justice for the most part if they were tried in a criminal court. What happens though is that it gets moved into civil family court, which for one is not open to the public most of the time. Uh, and so you never get to see what goes on in there. And if the parents, so only in the rare cases where there's some severe abuse do the parents actually get tried in criminal court, which is where they should go. Um, in most cases, most children, I think it's 80%, uh, the latest numbers from the national, um, from HHS, 
says that 80% of kids who are taken from their parents are taken for neglect, neglect, which is so nebulous. Okay. Neglect does not, that's not abuse. There's two different categories, abuse and neglect, right? Abuse is something that can be defined under the law. Neglect on the other hand is whatever the social worker wants it to be. And if they are taking you get the vaccine, you homeschooled your kids. That's right. I actually have a judge on tape telling a mother, you're not going to see your son again unless you get vaccinated. We have that guy in Florida. There was a judge in Florida telling her, you won't see him again unless you get vaccinated and you wear a mask all the time. How is this the role of a judge in family court? This woman was not accused of any abuse. She was not accused of any neglect. This is just a custody dispute. And the judge has decided that he's God. And he's going to say which parent is better and which one he doesn't like. You know, it's nebulous. It's nebulous. It's this strange, you know, children who are truly suffering abuse. Yes, the government does have a role to step in. And when I say that, I mean the criminal court and the police have a role. I don't believe that if, if there's, you know, in most of these cases, when you're talking about neglect, you're talking about parents or families who have drug addiction problems, alcohol abuse problems. In many of those cases, while those situations may seem sad and may seem bad, many times studies prove the children who are in those situations suffering through that neglect and, and drug abuse and all of that stuff do better staying with their biological family than they do in foster care. That's how bad foster care is, that it's better for a child to be with a drug addicted parent than it is to be in foster care. So we have to be careful because if we're just willy nilly taking kids out of homes and throwing them into foster care, like that's going to solve anything. It isn't. It would be better to spend our money giving actual services to families that the government says they're going to provide. They keep saying that social services provide services to families in need. They don't. It's a joke. They provide nothing. They force families to go to parenting classes that the parents have to pay for. They don't get any services for free. There's nothing free about this. And there's nothing serviceable about it either. So if you come into a home where where you say there's evidence of neglect, because let's say there's no food in the refrigerator. Well, that's not a crime. Being poor is not a crime. Not having food is not a crime. And it doesn't make you a bad parent either. And and instead of ripping the children out of their only home and away from a loving parent who is just poor and putting them with strangers, why doesn't the state hook them up with food, uh, food banks and local church charities? And why don't they do that? Why don't they bring groceries in? I would much prefer paying my tax dollars go to fill up somebody's cupboard then have their kids taken away and in way too many cases 80 percent, according to health and human services kids are being taken because of neglect that is not abuse that is not the same thing that's not what we're talking about when we hear about kids chained up in basements okay so second principle completely agree with that the second principle is a principle in america that i think makes you one of the many things that makes you exceptional in that Oh, in America, you are a bottom down, technically you're a bottom down power. Obviously, that's changed with 
over the last hundred years since Woodrow Wilson and different things, but we don't want to get into that. But every other country has its power at the top structure, whether it's a prime minister or a queen or, or a parliament, and then it sort of filters down to the local areas. The idea of federalism in your country is that, you know, the president has no power. Article 1, Section 8 gives 18 clauses of power to D.C. Everything else is left to the states. It's a biblical principle of make you leaders of men's of tens of hundreds of thousands. But that the reason that it's there is also that if there is a problem with the system, it's a lot easier for the, the citizen to have recourse because it's easier for you to find out who your local state senator or state assembly man or woman is compared and get to speak to them rather than, you know, try get Joe Biden on the phone. Even if you're a Democrat, <laughs> try get Joe Biden. And likewise, I'm, I'm not just picking on him. If you're a Republican it was last year, try get Donald Trump on the phone. Mm. Guess what? Spoiler alert, I'll save you a lot of money. You're not getting to talk to Donald Trump. You know, you might get to see his rally. That's not the way the system works. So we need oversight. You need to have recourse. And I think that's one of the big things that is missing in society, because we're going to get into some of the stories with these judges. Why is recourse to you so big that, you know, you don't have people not held accountable? That you don't have these judges that they just well we're I'm a judge you know I I I studied in, in Harvard you know I I I'm a god I can tell you how to live right why is this not a good system to to live in yeah I you know it's interesting so you're you're talking about the ideal of America and what America is supposed to be you're mm -hmm. you unfortunately that's not the America we live in anymore. And uh, mm -hmm. when you talk about checks and balances, this is a very interesting conversation. Our government system is supposed to check itself. Okay, that's why we like, we have the three branches and the president gets checked by Congress, the Congress gets checked by the president, then the judiciary is supposed to be checked by Congress. Okay, they are the ones who are in charge of the watching over the judiciary. Let me tell you something. There no, 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 George Bush said that wrong. He said in 2007, that's the Supreme Court. I, I just signed a bill. It's not my job to decide whether it's constitutional. That's the Supreme Court's job. There, yeah, no, there, there ain't nobody watching over judges in America. Nobody. And, and the minute you bring it up and the minute you tell lawmakers, hey, you better watch these judges because they're stomping all over everybody's rights. You know what they say? Oh, they've got immunity. That's the, judi that's the judicial branch. We don't have anything to do with it. Literally, and I know we're going to get into this later, but I had a conversation with a Missouri lawmaker who said, well, as we're peppering him about what can be done about these judges that are totally out of control. He, well, we could impeach a judge. And I said, really? You have that? You have the power of impeachment. That's right. You do. You're you're the House of Representatives. I think I heard that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you have the power of impeachment. That's right. Why the hell don't you impeach them? And he goes, well, we've never done it before. Oh, are you telling me over all these years and years that Missouri's been a state, you've never had a judge that needed to be impeached? And you know, you know what that tells me? You're just not, either not paying attention or it, there's a, you're ignoring it for whatever reason. And, and I think because I did a lot of research into Missouri in particular, the bar runs the state of Missouri. And that is why no judge has ever been disciplined, not 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 yesterday, not a hundred years ago, not today, and they're not going to do it anytime soon either. I know, but I, I can't talk about Missouri because I'll be honest, I tend to focus on national, not on the politics, but on the ideal of America. That's my job to, to try and tell America's story the, the proper way, the historical way, not the, the right way or the left way, the historical way of and highlighting why you're different to other countries. But one of the things that does frustrate Not anymore. Me, not anymore. Well, Sorry, you, you have, you, no, 
in, in, in practice, not anymore, but yeah. you still have the solution. You know, you, you know, the, yeah, the reason we I'm do. if we you, would follow our own laws, then, we exactly. would have the answer to this question. This is why when you go to lawmakers and they, and they propose writing new laws, you go, what is wrong with you? Enforce yeah. the laws we already have. Stop mm -hmm. writing all these laws. The laws don't do anything because the judges on the bench they don't pay attention to them. You can write laws today till the cows come home. And if, if a judge on the bench decides he doesn't want to listen to it, he's not going to. And no one's going to hold them accountable unless those lawmakers do it. And nothing can make them do it for some reason. And I don't know why. And, it, and it's. Well, we it's have to change the way we talk about judges. Because even, you know, this is on left and right. I remember I, I, I blew a gasket and I did it on this show as well, where when Brett Kavanaugh was up to be nominated under Trump. He called the Supreme Court the, the crown jewel of the Constitution. No, it's not. It's the Article 3 for a reason. But we always hold the SCOTUS and the courts and judges. Now, I'm not saying we should treat them dreadfully. I, I think you should have respect, and, and but where it's earned. You know, it's not just, I'm going to respect you just because you're a judge. No, you have to earn it. And we did a show a couple of weeks ago where I actually highlight all the really bad decisions. You know, there's no reason you could look at SCOTUS thinking, oh, isn't that a wonderful body? Tora Matsu, Brown versus Board of Education, Plessy versus Ferguson, Dred Scott, Roe versus Wade. And these are all there's not been five four decisions. terrible decisions. Yeah. yeah. There are the terrible day, judges. You're exactly, absolutely but even right. as I said, it's not like they were all five four decisions. Like some of them were seven one. That was Plessy versus Ferguson. That's a landslide. In baseball, you, you wave the white flag at 7-1 in the ninth inning. You just got to we'll come back tomorrow. And this is this is a body that we should revere. So I think we need to get to that point where just, and it's not about tearing people down. It's about accountability. This idea of your lifetime appointment, you can never be impeached. You're, you're always noble and I'm so grand that I went to Harvard and I'm so better. I, I lived the perfect life. No, they're fallible just like me and you. They're serious. Oh, but they have like immunity. They have immunity. I know. They have judicial immunity. Let's talk about immunity because this is the most insidious, ridiculous uh, thing that judges have. And so, you know, look, this is the one thing that Black Lives Matter and me agree on. I don't think, I think immunity is a very big problem for freedom and liberty. I think police officers shouldn't have it. I think social workers shouldn't have it. And for sure, for damn sure, judges should not have judicial immunity. Judicial immunity, this is how I explain this to people. It means that as a judge, if you, whatever you do when you're in that robe and on that bench, whatever you do, even if it's completely illegal, even if you unconstitutionally remove uh, children from parents and keep their kids away from them for two years just because you don't like the color of the, of, of the dress she was wearing, nothing can be done to you. Nothing. Judicial immunity says it doesn't matter if he was acting within his, ju his judicial function. He's done everything. Uh, it doesn't matter if he broke the law. And and that is incredible to me. So you can't sue a judge who has violated your constitutional rights. The only recourse you have is to go to these boards that they set up in each state. And the board is called the Judicial Accountability Board or some kind of oversight board. And you go to the board with your hat in your hand and you tell them, this is what this judge did to me. And you know what they tell you? They send you a letter back immediately that says, 
well, we're sorry that, that you think this happened to you, but that's not what we're here to do. If you don't hit these exact requirements of the judicial function that we are looking for that this person violated, we don't care what else he did. And so that goes into the garbage. And that's your last chance. That's it. You go to the judicial oversight board that was set up by some committee and some subcommittee and, you know, the House of Representatives. And, and they're all board. They're all bar members, by the way. They're all lawyers or yeah. former lawyers or former judges. And they protect their own. And all of it goes right to the to the round file, which is the garbage can. Uh, we were going to talk about one of the cases in Missouri that that. um yeah, we're going the to get Ameri to that now in a couple of minutes. America's Got Talent Kids. I just wanted yeah, to bring that up. Because in that case, Bart Rocket, who is the uh, father, who is the complainant, he filed uh, a complaint against the judge that unlawfully imprisoned his children twice. And the oversight board told him, this is not our, this is not under our purview, sorry, and uh, tossed it out. And it is exactly what they're supposed to be looking into, but they just say that it isn't. And then you don't get, and there's no one else to go to. Absolutely not. I think the one thing I would take from this part of the conversation, America, is I hear so many times from messages from you is there is no common ground. There, there, you know, we're just so divided on every issue. I think there are issues like, you know, if it comes down to how you're going to vote, look, there are people who are going to vote for Biden no matter what he does. There are people who are going to vote for Trump no matter how he does. There are going to be people who, which I don't like, and I get peed every time I say this, I don't like this idea of going into a ballot box and literally going straight Republican, straight Democrat. I think that is, it brings you, doesn't inform people, it doesn't let you make you do your own homework. It just is a clueless vote. And I know people don't like when I say that, but I think it's true. But you can't find common ground on this issue. I think, you know, even if there, even if we disagree on the solutions, and um, which way maybe we do, but there are most people, average American, will care about kids. You know, like some of the issues we've just spoken about. So I don't know if we make the case that there's going to be many people know. Oh, I think judges should be a you know a buffer post. Anyone who's a judge is clearly better than everyone else, and you know they know how to live. They never make mistakes. I don't know any, <laughs> even I don't know even Democrats who'd say that. You know, look, and if anyone says that, if a Democrat makes that argument, kind of go, well, you all have problems with Brett Kavanaugh apparently having a beer. So, you know, if that's your bar, everyone has problems, you know, and make a joke out of it. That's how I make the case sometimes, and it works sometimes, and it does another time. But, you know, oversight, there is nobody, whether it's president, whether it's um, media, whether it's, you know, politicians. Like, even if it's me, imagine I come before the microphone and you doing all your writing. Oh, you have to take everything I say as gospel. Or, Megan, everything you write, you tell your readers, every, everything I say, don't question. Yeah, right. That would be the first thing that should be the siren going off in your head. I need to question you because if you're telling yeah. me I need to trust you, I, I, you you're doing something touch. And I would say, I say that about every, even my colleagues. I say that about Glenn. I say that about you, past, you know, Mark Levin. Question everyone. I, everyone personally, think, I personally think the greatest, uh, the greatest way to solve this problem and the oversight that we need in, in courtrooms is for it to, them all to be open to the press. All open, every single court case in America, including juvenile cases, custody cases, every case should be open to the press. Now, that doesn't mean that you have a press box in every courtroom and that it's full every time. All it means is that if the press wants to come in to see a case, that there is no one standing at the door barring the way. And believe me, 
when you try as a member of the press to get into some of these court cases that are supposed to be open, and they're having a real problem with it in Arizona right now, because the whole state of Arizona says all courtrooms are shall be open. Yet they keep barring court watchers from the courtrooms anyway. I have I'm watching this whole thing happening with court watchers in Arizona that is an absolute disgrace. They have been trying to watch certain cases that they're interested in. And it doesn't matter for what reason. Whatever reason they're interested in doesn't matter. They are there to oversee, uh, you know, what's going on in the courtrooms, make sure everybody's being treated fairly. It's just like body cams on police officers. Nobody objects to that. Well, let's put some body cams on the judges, shall we? Because what's going on in their courtrooms is unbelievable. And we should get into some of the details so that people know what we're talking about, because we're not just talking about your average, you know, um, well, he hurt my feelings or he talked to me you know, nastily. These people are jailing children unlawfully. They're giving children to known sex offenders so that they can rape them again. These are people who are committing crimes from the bench. And the only people who are going to be able to oversee them, I believe, is the press and the public. So courtrooms ought to be open. And they, their big, their big argument against this is always about the privacy of the children. It's all, they oh. always hide, they use the children as human shields and they say it's about the privacy of the children. As if the privacy so of the child. Let's play devil's advocate there because that's the last principle I want to discuss with you because I agree in principle, courts should be open, right? This is where, and this is where I want to hear your argument because, you know, I, this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you. We're talking about principles, we're laying the foundation, and we're going to actually talk about some stories. But so, you know, if you said to me, should all courts be open? Should we have access? Absolutely. Then, you know, if you gave me an example, you're kind of going, right, there's this girl, and I, I'm going to use, you know, a sob story that would hit my heart, right? You know, this obviously might be different for other people, but. You know, this girl is six years old, you know, and she's a really nice girl, and she was outgoing, and, you know, her father raped her and then gave her to her uncle, and she's only six, and she's got the whole rest of her life ahead of her. You don't really want the press to hear that, because you know what the press is like in 2021, John. They're going to make her, they're going to take pictures of her, they're going to be on phone parade news, her name is going to be there. That no, story we would not. Forever. No, we wouldn't. That do we don't do that. No, that's, 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 what, that's what they'd say. That's what I'm they say, the but that's not what the press does. And in fact, that's just so insulting to every member of the press. And I mean the mainstream press too, because I don't know any of them who have done anything like that. Uh, I... I, and I would, I would out them if I did. Um, I think that the press is very, um, sympathetic towards victims of crimes and has been historically in our, you know, when you're a journalist, you have, there are ethical standards that you're held to professional standards and our professional standards don't allow for us to, uh, um, to identify minors who are victims of crimes. That, that doesn't happen. I mean, read a newspaper, any newspaper where there's a victim of a crime who's under the age of 18, you will never find a name you will not find one but we don't do that um now but do you still I, have the trust that doesn't happen in i'm, I'm, try, I'm just I, I'm, yeah, I'm you, you, well, just in, i mean look if it happens let's say if you it, literally have like people applauding i know it's a different issue but you know how great that guy was for you know taking down Tucker carlson and you have this you know doxing you know different people you have like the, the treatment sarah huckabee sanders got in that restaurant not taking the issue away but just in principle do you have the trust in the media that we don't ever get to that point? Because I'll be honest with you, and this is, I, I, again, I'm only playing depth as I'll figure, because I, I'm kind of pulling on every heartstring that I think, and, you know, trying to, you know, build in the narrative of, because I really despise your media and the media around the world, because I don't trust yeah, them. I'm, I'm in the industry. I, I know what they're like. I know how they think. But do I have that trust in them? That's where I start kind of going, 
maybe there is just some argument. I don't I'll know. tell you what, I trust the media more than I trust these judges in these family courts. I, I do. And, and wow. I, and, 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 and there's something. no question. There's no question about it. And I, I'm a person who understands the fake news press is the enemy of the people. Uh, at the same time, the judges have far more power over your rights. And let me tell you something. You know what's more important than privacy for children who are victims of crimes? Constitutional rights. Trumps it every time. And if, if, in, in my opinion, I am not a person who would ever identify a child who is involved in one of these, um, situations. Uh, I think professional standards don't, don't allow me to do it. I also think my own moral values don't allow me to do it. But if the question comes down to the identity of the child who's being abused in this system coming out or the system being allowed to continue the abuse, I'm going with blow the lid off it every time because this cannot continue. These children, and I think they would be, agree with me, they're being abused by the system. I know teenagers right now, at least four of them that I'm dealing with in two different families who want their names out in the public, who want to tell their stories because they are being so horrifically abused. Well, one of them uh, I reported on in Missouri, the judge gave her to her father who she says in court but he's molesting me. Why would you give me to him? Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if her father actually did molest her, but the judge behaves as if what she just heard in court means nothing to her. That the words of someone claiming to be a victim of sexual abuse mean nothing. She says, you're just a child. You're just a child and you have to do what we say and you're going with him. What? I mean, this is a 14 year old has the right to say why she doesn't want to live with one parent over the other. Uh, uh, and they have a right to be listened to as well. And if they're alleging uh, sexual abuse, shouldn't we at least have an evidentiary hearing? This was Judge Nicole Zellweger in Missouri. Judge Nicole Zellweger didn't even bother to have an evidentiary hearing. She sent this child to a man that she accused of molestation. And on the court record, it showed that he had taken her to his father's house for a week, who is a registered sex offender, who is not supposed to be around children, who was incarcerated for forcible rape, Rape, and he kept her there with him for a week against the court order. Now, what what do you think is is do you think it's likely that a guy with that bad of judgment might actually and who has a sex offender as a father might actually be an offender? Well, I think so. And I think that the judge had enough evidence to ask the questions that she never did. We haven't seen that child since. We do not know where she is. Her mother has not heard from her since. That, And her mother was never accused of child abuse. Okay, they took a child from a perfectly willing and able parent, gave her to the other parent that the child says abuses her, had evidence of it on the court record, and we haven't seen the kid since. She was 14 years old. You know, a 14-year-old has a right to her voice. She has a right to say what she wants to say. In this country, 14-year-olds are allowed to get abortions without parental consent, but they're not allowed to choose where they live with which divorced parent they want to live with. Look, if you've destroyed your relationship with your 14-year-old to the point where she's willing to lie about you and she's willing to say that you touched her inappropriately and you didn't, I still think she shouldn't have to live with you because something is wrong with that relationship. And that's up to you as the parent to fix. You don't go to a judge and then have your child forcibly removed to your home in order and you think that that's going to improve the relationship. No, it's not. It's not going when she's 18. She's never going to speak to you again. So, you know, good luck. 
if her father is not a molester and he's being wrongly accused, well, that's unfortunate. And I think if I were in his shoes, I would say, honey, you go and live with your dad you and we'll we'll work this out because something is going on here that I can't I can't force a teenager. Have you ever tried to force a teenager to do anything? I mean, it's it's absurd. Uh -huh. I've got yep. two and you, you know, you got to pick your battles and you should not be trying to force your teenager to do anything unless you want them to hate you. Absolutely. I think, you know, before the last thing I just would add to that, I think the judges need to get to a point, you know, from reading these stories where they act more like mediators and trying to come to a good solution rather than actually gods and judges and compelling people what to do. Dictators. I think that's, yeah. yeah, exactly. Because I think that's how you, you know, in, you know, forget the political world and stuff like that. But, you know, in the business world, you know, when two people have a dispute, you know, you can be both right or both wrong, you know, depending on the merits of the story. But what you do is immediate. You sit things down and go, look, we're going to try and solve this solution. Does it always work? No. But we need to start having these discussions, especially where kids are involved and parents. And I think we should... I'm a firm believer in innocent to proven guilty. So, you know, when someone accuses someone, I don't, you know, go, oh, they're totally guilty. Even with that, even that story you told me about the father, because, you know, I don't judge the sins of the father onto the son. However, there should be a high bar that, hey, look, you know, there's a bit of smoke here. Let's just all right. calm down. Let's have a discussion and let's have a hearing. If it's yeah. focused, I want to hear the hearing and I want to have the father or anyone's name cleared, you know, because if you make some. Right. Don't you that, want your you, name cleared? Like, show absolutely. me the evidence. Like, but let's see this true, evidence. We don't want to put the kid at further no. danger. The kid should always be first and foremost in the sense of, especially in these hearings, which we're going to talk about getting their safety. And we're going to talk about some really bad stories. So go take a cup of tea, American. Let's calm down and we'll be right back. Get into some actual stories. We've spoken about the principles. We tried to lay the foundation for you, America. So let's share some stories. So the first story I want to talk to you about is a story some of you may know about or may know the people involved because the America's Got Talent is a big show over there. My apologies, I haven't watched. I'm not. I'm not cool and young and hip. I've never really watched it. Um, and there's these kids called Caden and Brooklyn Rocket. Apparently, they're magicians. Which I'm actually gonna. As you link to your article and video, I'm gonna watch it because I love magic. And I know it's fake, and yes, I love wrestling, yes, I love magic, but there's something about this illusion of anything is possible, and the drama and the theatrics. I just love magic, so I'm going to go watch the story. However, the story also has the America's Got Talent, but then there's also this uh, story that says, you know what, no matter how famous you are, no matter how well-known you are, no matter what stage you perform on, no one is safe. Mm. And these have a have a situation where they go to family court. Why don't you tell us what happened? Lay the groundwork. So their father is Bart Rocket. Bart is a um a, a known magician. He worked for many years in Branson, Missouri, which you know there's a, a lot of entertainment there. So the kids inherited his uh stage presence and you know his his industry. He married in the industry as well. His wife, his ex-wife, uh was a performer as well. So they both met while they were performing in Branson and uh had had these children and you know that it's a performing family. Uh, but the, the relationship fell apart at some point and they ended up in court. Uh, Bart did not want to fight. 
he wanted everything to be, you know, just let's split it down the middle. Let's do 50, 50 and, and, and we won't fight. He didn't even get his own lawyer. He used his wife's lawyer. Um, they had a, a written agreement that was never. By the way, I just have to say that that's a really bad mistake for anyone listening. Do not follow that advice. Do not do that. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. But you know, you have to, you have to, I feel, I feel like I love this man's soul because, you know, he wanted, he's trying, he was trying very hard not to have a, a problem with his family. You know, like, let's just do this amicably. He had no clue that he was going to, what's, what was going to happen to him. Um, you know, and they, and they never, for some reason, their, their agreement never got filed with the court. Her attorney never filed it, but they lived like that for two years with 50, 50 custody with no problems, you know, back and forth. The only problem was that his ex-wife started to, um, tell the children she didn't want them to be in the industry. She didn't want them working anymore. And they were very successful and loving their careers. And, and they did not want uh, her telling them they had to stop. So it started to get, started to get, you know, contentious. Um, so she suddenly went and filed for full custody. Now, because his other custody agreement was never filed, it was like they were starting again from the beginning. And she filed in two places. So she filed, they were living in California at the time. And so she filed in California, but she also filed in Missouri, uh, where they used to live. And which is not something you're supposed to be able to do legally. You, you, legally, you can't file in two different courts at the same time. So they had this big fight about, uh, where is the jurisdiction? Is it California? Is it Missouri? And it's, they, it, the Missouri court, Judge Amy, his name is Eric Amy. He, he sent for, uh, Bart Rocket to come to Missouri in front of him, bring the children, and he was going to adjudicate this case. And Bart's saying at the time, this is not the right jurisdiction. So, he, but he figures there's no harm in going. We'll, we'll get this sorted out. I'll get a lawyer and we'll figure it out. They get there and the judge uh, says he had a conversation with the judge in California and he's taking jurisdiction. The California court gave it up. No, this is not how this works. You're not, that's not, you, you can't have two judges in ex parte communication deciding the fate of jurisdiction when this is an arguable issue, right? You have to have a hearing. You have to have your attorneys present. You have to have, that never happened. So Bart Rocket gets thrown into a Missouri court on very nebulous and illegal circumstances in the first place. Um, there was no, there was no even recording of that conversation, no court reporter in the room. So there's no record of that ever happening. And what ensued was a conversation happening there. Did you, did between the two judges. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and so there was no, no one to fight for him to say, no, the jurisdiction should be in California. And there was no one on his ex-wife's side to say the jurisdiction should be where she wanted it to be. Neither party was able to argue for jurisdiction, which is incredible. And um, that should not happen. So um, that's the first problem. The second problem is that during that uh, case in Missouri, the judge showed incredible bias against Hollywood and it did not like the children working in Hollywood and made a big deal out of how how Hollywood is evil and said a bunch of things on the on the stand. But he also um, was conflicted because and he should have recused himself because he was the attorney for Bart Rocket's mother during her divorce. And she ended up 
going after him for um, some kind of uh, malfeasance that she claimed that he did to her. So this was a man who was very familiar with the Rocket family to the point where he should have recused himself right then. That was brought up in court. He did not step down. He refused the motion to recuse himself and stayed on the case. He decided in court, uh, in that court process, that the children should go um live with their mother who had moved to Utah full time and do their visitation with, with dad. Dad agrees. He says he, he didn't know what else he could do. The he said the time was not that much different that he was going to get to spend with them. And he didn't see another way out of it because the judge was completely against him. So he agreed. Uh, the children were not in the courtroom at the time. They were outside the courtroom. They did not hear this happening. Uh, so when Bart left the courtroom, he goes out to his car because the children were going to talk to their mother. They were going to explain what happened. And he says, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll wait until you're done. And, and he leaves. And he's waiting and he's waiting and his children don't come back out and he's starting to get nervous. They were all supposed to go to dinner together afterwards. Starting to get nervous, starts to walk back into the courtroom. He says the next or the courthouse. Next thing he knows, there's police officers coming out after him saying, get back in your car. You're not allowed in here. And he's very confused. He has no idea why. And hours, I mean, I think hours went by. He's in the, he's trying to call his ex-wife. Hasn't seen the children. Nobody knows where they are. He finally gets a hold of her. The, when it story comes all out, the judge had come out into the hallway after the after court was over and witnessed the children having an argument with their mother and the court psychologist or psychiatrist. And the, the children were very upset about what had happened and they did not want to go with her. And they were saying, we're not going to go with you. And they were um, older at the time. I think they were between 10 and 12 um, saying they wouldn't go back with her. And so the judge which I don't even know if he could do this. He pulls them into a room in the si a side room into a conference room and starts berating the children about why Hollywood is bad and why they have to go with their mother and all his personal opinions about this. The children disagreed with him. Um, they said respectfully, we don't agree with you. We don't want to live with our mother. We, we want to live with our father and we want to continue doing what we're doing. And he said, well, I'm going to show you. Uh, the children say that he said, I'm going to show you what I can do. And if you don't listen to me, and he pulled them out of that room, he took them away from any witnesses. He ordered them to walk downstairs underneath the courthouse with him by themselves. They walked down to jail cells where he had two police officers put them in jail cells, strip them of their shoes and socks, put them in cement floored jail cells separated from one another and locked them in and left. Has they that were, been verified? That part has been verified. Uh, I believe, yeah, it, yeah, it happened. I mean, it happened. Um, it's, there's no doubt about it that it happened. Um, I don't know That's how just because you said that. about what they, initially he said, so like, I always want to make the case between, this is what they said, but this is verified that this actually is well happened. Because, you know, there's, there's two yeah. different stories. I mean, the news reports, I mean, I, the news reports have, um, have not made any indication that it didn't happen. Um, I have not heard any indication that it did not happen to them. Uh, I've, I can't say a lot because Bart Rocket's under a gag order. And so there's certain things that I can't even talk about. Um, but, but as far, but I'm going to say, yes, it's confirmed that that actually happened. And through discovery, they're going to have lots of evidence during the lawsuit that's uh, happening. They're going to have the evidence so of that. Where the kids arrested? Uh, no, no, they were never arrested. They were never read so any rights. 
There were so what was the charge to put them in the cell? There was no charge. There was they weren't even held in contempt of court because they were not in a courtroom or in a court process when this happened. They were literally outside of court after the court was over. So the judge technically is not acting as a judge, and I think violated uh, and gives up his judicial immunity because he was not acting as his uh, official position. He was actually outside of it, acting as a private citizen, uh, doing this to them. He also is not a police officer. He cannot arrest people. He can hold someone in contempt of court during a court proceeding. He cannot walk outside of court and hold someone in contempt of court. That's not how that works. Um, uh-huh. He can't just arrest someone. He did yeah, not and there's order- also, just for people who are listening, um, I could be wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I remember hearing this. There's a reason, you know, you say at the start of the case, all rise, it's like the, it's kind of like, you know, okay, that's the opening pitch, and then right. case, is, you know, case adjourned, and all rise, and the judge walks up. That's kind of right. like, you know, the, the curtain going up, and the curtain going down, from a legal right. point of view. And from it's a legal clear. standpoint. And this, yeah. the curtain had already gone down, and everybody yeah. had gone home. Bug, and it, yeah. this, is, this is afterwards. So, he puts them in jail cells. While they were in these jail cells, they, they were um, the little girl reported that she, her feet were freezing. And so she was standing on top of the cot. There's like a cot six inches off the ground. She was standing on top of that. And then someone came on the intercom and, and, and a police officer banged on the door and told her to get down. So she knew she was being watched on a video camera and there was, there were toilets in the cells, but of course they weren't private. And so both of the children had to go to the bathroom, but now knowing that they were being watched, they didn't. And they were in terrible pain. Uh, and you know, for, and it was like an hour long before he comes back. He comes back after an hour, tells the officers to open the cells. And he says, are you ready to do, to go with your mother now? Are you ready to go home with your mother? I mean, this is just intimidation, right? And they said, no, we're not. We're not ready to, we're not going to do it. And then he began to, uh, then he did, he pulled the ace out of his sleeve. This is the thing that the children say made them agree to go with their mother. Um, He threatened them with foster care. He said, I can take you away from both your parents and put you in the Missouri foster care system. And that was enough to make them say, okay, fine, you win, we'll go. And they did, they went with their mother um, and that didn't last very long. She discovered very quickly that having two near near teenagers living with you who don't wanna live with you is not fun. And they both parents agreed that this this was not working out and they wanted to Sorry, change. Just for, before you get onto that, what was the mother's reaction or do we know what the mother's reaction was? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Because yeah. you, you have to think in a reasonable world, like, you you know, even no matter how, and this is a sad thing I've seen at first time that I used to do was a president trainer of a charity over here. And I'd see, you know, kids been used as a weapon, but, you know, to, to get time or to get more, you know, alimony and different things. And, you know, a lot of contention, you know, when it breaks up and, you know, when, even though it's, you know, he cheated, she cheated or something stupid happened, they'd use the kids as a weapon. But I have to believe that most people would, as a mother, would like, don't put my kids in a jail cell. I want my kids. I want my kids living with me. I'm I'm really annoyed with my husband, or in this case, maybe they're not, or whatever's going on. But don't do that to my kids, right? Yeah, she did not seem to care. I mean, I, I don't know how she felt that day, um, that particular day, but she did not seem to, she didn't do anything. To my knowledge, she didn't 
complained to anyone. And I don't believe she put in any kind of, you know, formal complaint against the judge or anything. Um, and in fact, she caused it to happen a second time because uh, the story is not over yet. And these children actually get thrown in prison again on her request. Um, so the, so they go This is with the more her, troubling part for me because there's actually video yeah. of this. Yeah. So yeah. what do you so, tell what happened? So she, so she decides, you know, she figures out that this is not going to work, this living arrangement. She and Bart come to another decision where, well, okay, we're, they're going to change the living arrangements and she's going to go back to having visitation and he's going to go back to being the full custody parent. But the judge, Judge Amy, won't agree to it. He refused to agree to a settlement between the parents in his case. He said, no, you're going to abide by my order. Not your agreement that you come up with this private issue between you two. No, you're going to, because I'm God, you're going to do what I say because I'm the one in the black robe. So the, this just created more chaos. And and the, now there's a court. So the court order says that they're supposed to be living with, um, with her full time. I don't think they actually obeyed that court order. I think that they just did what they wanted to. But she had that ace up her sleeve that anytime she wanted to, she could enforce that court order and claim that she was unhappy with it, right? Because it never got changed. And that is exactly what happened. Uh, it, it, and so fast forward to going through COVID and the family of Bart decides to move the kids to Louisiana. He's got some property there. So during quarantine, you know, living in LA was no fun. So they decided to go to Louisiana and um, do their homeschooling there or whatever they were doing. I think maybe remote schooling. I don't remember, but they're there. And at the time the mo now mom decides that she it's time for her visitation and the kids refuse to go again. They've just, the kids say, no, we don't want to go now. Their father says that he tried everything he could to get them to, to go to that visitation. He even offered to bring a uh, therapist to with, he offered to fly her in and have a therapist sit down with all of them and, and talk it out. Uh, she refused to do that. She, she wasn't happy with that, but he didn't know what to do. Like, should I force them on an airplane? I don't know how I, how do you do that? You know, a lot of, most courts will recognize that at a certain point as a parent, you can't force your teen children into visitation because what are you going to do put your hands on them physically and force them into a car you're going to force them onto a plane um and so that's the situation he was in it was either it, he talked the children into going or allow them to stay home and he couldn't talk them into going and they stayed home she files an order of contempt against him for violating the court order and the judge judge amy because you know he's an out-of-control maniac issues a pickup order for the children, uh, basically an arrest warrant uh, for the children and for the father. He did not make good on his, on his attempt to pick up uh, Bart for some reason. He ordered it, but it never happened. But the sheriffs of, in Louisiana did show up at his house and arrested the children on camera. And the weird part about it is that they actually put the children under arrest, read them their rights. And when the daughter asks for an attorney, because the child is smart enough and says, I want my attorney after being read her rights. The sheriff actually says to her, you don't have the right to an attorney. Your parents have to take care of that because you're a minor. But you just read me my rights. You said you have a right to an attorney. You have a right. If I'm being arrested, I don't care if you're a juvenile, I don't care who you are. You have a right to an attorney. And the children report that they were told they had no right to an attorney. They were then separated in different SUVs taken by handcuffs. 
handcuffed, which is really funny because both of them know how to escape from handcuffs. Uh, they are they are experts at escaping from handcuffs, and I think I would have. They were probably too traumatized, but I would have thought it would be a really funny joke for the handcuffs to keep falling off and uh, just keep. Something's wrong with these. You know, I mean, what in one of the tricks I think that the um the the son is is famous for. He gets out of five sets of handcuffs, so it's funny wow. to me that they yeah. that they put these kids in handcuffs handcuffs um but i'm sure it was very traumatizing for them at the time so they put them in two different suvs so they could not speak to one another they were separating the children constantly separating them which is really awful too because they couldn't even talk to one another and these children had committed no crime they that's the thing them. what was their crime what was their crime their crime was that they didn't want to go with their mom that was their only but that's not a crime it's a family issue and it's something that therapists should be working on with the family not judges and police officers i mean it's insane so they get to um they held them at the station where they were for many hours they had not had dinner they had taken them from their home before they had eaten they had not had dinner um, they did not take them to a the juvenile detention center was like an hour away from where they were so after booking them at the station and keeping them there for several hours, then they took them on an hour car trip, again in separate cars, wasting gas. Can you imagine? I mean, it's just so stupid. Taking them separate cars for another hour ride to a juvenile detention hall where they were then stripped, searched, stripped naked, stripped, searched. Well, those teenagers, you know, they, they, they could be off to eat them. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Strip searched them, threw them in jail cells that were covered in cockroaches with bugs and stuff. They got one hour of sleep. That was by four in the morning is when they finally got put into their cells. They got one hour of sleep before they were woken up and given a psychological exam. No dinner, one hour of sleep, and a psychological exam right after that. I mean, if that doesn't sound like you put me in that situation, I'm going to be a coo- I'm going to be a cop. <laughs> you right? don't feed me and give me one hour of sleep. Oh, you think you, you, you don't see one flew over the cuckoo's nest? You put all of those characters together. That's me. I, I know, right? that How can they do this to children? It really, you know, what really bothers me about that too is that how are the other inmates at that juvenile facility treated? Yeah. Were they treated in the same callous way? with no dinner and no, well, how can we do this to children? This is not America. This is not, this is not incarceration or in a rehabilitation center. This is called torture and inhumane treatment. We don't do that to criminals. Why would we do it to children? Uh, you have also to- children who in this case are, well, I hate using this word, but you know, they're the victims. Yeah. They had no, they, they committed no crime. Yeah. Uh, no, but no also crime. like in, in any dispute, you yeah, know, not just not not just that they didn't commit any crime, but they're the quote unquote the victim, you know, because yeah. obviously the situation between the mother and the father, and you know, there's arguments and they're going, you know, but then there's a dispute. They're the kind of collateral damage, or you know, they're the things we should be doing everything in our power to protect. Um, and and it's just we're treating them like I wouldn't even say garbage because you know, at least garbage, you you know, you give it a home and you don't you know put it out at four a.m. in the morning. So what's the <laughs> sort of conclusion? Terrible. It's horrific. I know, I know we're trying to make a joke out of it because it's I'll be terrible. honest with you, the reason I'm making a few jokes is because honestly, I'm, I'm uh, Megan can see me. I don't know if you've seen me. I'm clenching my fist because I want to hit something really hard. I know, it's very upsetting. No, it's very upsetting. And when you talk to these children, you know, uh, these are two children who are going to tell their story at some point mm-hmm. and they want their story to be known. These are two of the children whose names they want 
to be known. I mean, and, and I think that the state of Missouri and Judge Amy, they're going to regret doing this to these children. Um, these are not children without resources. They're not children without talents or, or connections. And one day uh, you're going to hear from them. And I hope that all of of our country here. And I, I think they will. And, and I think that right now it's kind of, um, right now they have to stay quiet because there's a big lawsuit that was filed. Uh, Bart Rocket has filed a lawsuit against Judge Amy. Now, before I said you couldn't file a suit against a judge, it's true that almost none of them will survive the judicial immunity hurdle. But because of what we talked about, because of that curtain coming down and the judge walking off his stage and being a normal person and then doing these things to them, uh, he came, I think he gave up his judicial immunity. And that's the argument that's going to be made in court. Uh, I, I did print the entire lawsuit. If you want to read it, it's on pjmedia.com. On the article uh, that I wrote about these two, I don't have it in front of me, so I don't have the title, but maybe you could link it in your when you release your uh, podcast. Let me see. Yeah, it is. It's shocking lawsuit alleges Missouri Family Court judge unlawfully imprisoned, terrorized America's Got Talent stars. It will be linked in the podcast though, as well. Yeah. And I'd encourage yeah, and everyone- you can read the entire lawsuit and I would encourage you to read the lawsuit because it basically tells the story through the children's eyes and what the children suffered. The father has filed it on behalf of his children. It's really a suit by the children against the judge. And, um, you know, th- their rights have been violated all over the place. And there's no question that that happened. Uh, the only question that remains to be seen is will the state, will the judge that this is going before um, cop out and allow Judge Amy to use the judicial immunity um, defense to get out of what he did? And I think it's going to be a very interesting one to watch. And I really can't wait to see what happens so far. Judge Amy has not responded to the lawsuit. He has until August, I think the middle of August to do it. So we're waiting on that response. And I'm sure that it will be a uh, an argument that he has judicial immunity and everything he's done is it's fine. But, <laughs> we'll see. But even really the realistic and realistic, you know, sort of playing this ball game out. The case that if a case happens, it's not really the important case, unless depending what the way the wording of the ruling comes out, this is going to the Supreme Court all the way, regardless of I the hope ruling. So. I really hope so, and I, I, I think that. And then you I, have to hope they have the 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 Gahonis to actually hear the case. But you know, if they do, I don't have high hopes that they will strike down judicial immunity. Judges want it. They love it. The Supreme Court is why we have it. Uh, you know, there. I can't remember the name of the decision right now. Uh, Michael Volpe, my, my friend in Chicago, who's an investigative journalist, he's always hammering on it. Uh, but there was a Supreme Court decision that allowed for this to happen in the first place. And that it, it's not like judicial immunity is a law. No one ever voted on judicial immunity. It didn't go through Congress. This was decided by the Supreme Court. They decided that judges could have judicial immunity. So am I am I confident at all that if this goes to the Supreme Court, it's going to have a happy ending for these children? No, I am not. The, the judges are, they are protecting themselves and I believe they will do it all the way up to the Supreme Court. Um, so I don't have a lot of high hopes, although I do think that this case, if any case could overturn judicial immunity, this is the one that could do it. You cannot have judges running around throwing children into jail cells with no charges, with no, you can't can't do that. That's illegal. And someone needs to hold Judge Amy accountable. 
Absolutely, and I, I agree. I think it's going to the if it gets to the right way, the will go to the Supreme Court, and then it's will they listen to it? But here's the thing, and this is the the final point I want to make in this story is you have a voice, America. The EU, I don't have any hopes in the Supreme Court. Yes, I know Trump nominated Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. Look at some of their rulings recently. You know, they're not exactly quote unquote you know constitutional, right? But how do you nope. change things? We need to stop arguing and making it all about politics. Yes, it has a role. Yes, elections have consequences. Yes, get the best people on the Supreme Court. But how do you change it? This is a story that everyone could take. Go read uh, Megan's article. Go listen to this. Go share this podcast with someone. This is a case we can make that says, hey, this is why we need judicial you know, overview. This is why it's not all about, you know, you know, judicial immunity should end, but also how you change it. Get the politicians involved that you can impeach judges. That there is nobody in America, whether it's president or congressperson or senator or state person or governor or mayor or priest or pastor or anybody, you know, dictator, no one is above reproach. We all make mistakes and we should be held accountable and that this system needs to change. It sure does. And we forgot to tell them about the happy ending that this story actually had because... Oh, great happy ending. I'm all for happy endings. Yeah, and it doesn't happen very often. But while the children were sitting in jail, they were there for two days. And on the second day, uh, it just... I don't know if this was a coincidence or that the appeals court got wind of them being in prison. Uh, but what happened was uh, a, an appeal that Bart had filed with the higher court, uh, with the Supreme Court of Missouri. Uh, he had filed it months before. It just so happened that on the second day of their imprisonment, the appeal came out in his favor and they vacated all of the orders that Judge Amy had made in his case. Um, and and so that means that everything Judge Amy did but that is completely void. So they released the children immediately to their father's care. They they took the jurisdiction away from Missouri because he was living in Louisiana at the time. And a Louisiana judge took over the custody uh, battle and after hearing the facts of this case, he gave Bart Rocket uh, full custody, and he he told the <laughs> Rocket's ex-wife that she's not even allowed to have visitation right now. Well, that's it. That's it's great to have a happy ending in one story. <laughs> the the yes. sad story is that that judge is still listening to cases right now. But we'll yeah. we'll we'll say oh, we'll, we'll have is. a happy ending. And he's in secret courts, in juvenile courts. And I made a phone call. I have it on recording. It's actually really hideous of a clerk in Amy's court telling me that uh, he's busy all day. He's He can't talk to you because he's in juvenile court. And I said, oh, great. When can I get in? I'd like to go in there and, and, and watch him on the bench. And she said, oh, no, they're all closed. I said, they're all closed? What do you mean they're all closed? Do you mean he's operating in secret courts right now? She says, well... They're always closed. They're juvenile cases. So, so you have a judge on the bench who just is accused of putting two children in jail two times illegally, who is allowed to sit on the bench over other juveniles in a secret closed court. Yeah, she had to answer yes on that one. <laughs> and I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible, but yet it still continues. But Judge Amy ought to be off the bench. And I believe that he My ought to. happy ending has just gone away. I know. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm very sorry. I mean, I. <laughs> How can he not be at least suspended temporarily until this is, you know, but, but Missouri is a total, it's a total cock up. I'm sorry. I don't know if, if I can say that on this show. That's but fine. It you is. can say anything you want. We don't, we're not FCC regulated. So we're it's cool. totally, it's totally messed up. It's a total circus. Um, there's so many others and we're going to talk about Michaela Haynes, I think coming up. So. 
Yeah, absolutely. But one thing I'd say to you, just for people going into the break, is this is Missouri. You know, I get the frustration with the left. I really do. You don't have to tell someone who grew up and lives in socialist Ireland the problems with the left. I know them better probably than you do. However, we also got to look closer to the home. This is Missouri. Last time I checked, maybe maybe this is me, but I'm totally wrong. I don't think Missouri is a blue state. And I don't think Missouri is where AOC and the squad all came from. No, I think that was other states. We need to start looking closer to home. That's a great point. And I will say that I am I am really tired of conservatives uh, being so pro-red, pro-red, you know, go red and anti-blue that they can't see their own the corruption in their own states and, and the corruption going on. And everybody in Missouri is a Republican, like literally everyone. And so they're doing this in Missouri, too. They're doing it everywhere. We're going to have Megan back on um, when she gets some time because there's other cases I want to talk to you about. And this is, you know, topics that we should be able to find common ground on. You know, I'm, I'm sick and tired of this. All, all the left, their socialists, they've no heart. They care about the kids just as much as we do. This is a topic. Forget the politics, the red, blue, and, you know, Trump and Biden. This is something about our kids. You know, if we can't unite over kids, you know, we may as well be done. We can find common ground because at the end of the day, we may vote differently. We may see America differently. We may, you know, think CNN is good or bad or Fox is good or bad. But at the end of the day, when it comes to our kids, we all want the best thing. We're going to talk to you. I'm going to give you some solutions because I think that's really important. But there's one story I want to just hit on real quick. And Megan, I'm going to give it all to you. I'm not going to say anything. And all I'm going to say is the name is Michaela Haynes. Yeah, I think we all need to understand what happened in Michaela Haynes uh, to understand how bad the family court system is. Michaela Haynes was 14 years old when she took her own life after being repeatedly forced to spend time with a convicted child rapist. Her father, Charles Haynes, who is currently serving prison time in Missouri for raping Michaela's half-sister, Melissa, when she was a teenager. Now, Michaela ended up in this court system uh, because she her father went after he raped Melissa, uh, who is the half sister. All hell broke loose in their family. Of course, the police are called and now you're in court and, you know, this is all going on. And now there's custody issues. And and unbelievably, they don't treat um this like a normal person would like if you asked a random person at the bus stop what should we do with the remaining children in the house uh who's we know one of them was raped by the father and the mother is a perfectly good uh caretaker who should the kids go to everyone at a bus stop would say give the children to the mother obviously and she's leaving him she's filing for divorce she's doing all the right things that she's supposed to do you give them to her in the case in Missouri, what happens, though, in family court is all these court professionals get involved. One of them was a court professional, a guardian ad litem, they call them, for the child. Uh, and she decided that somehow the girls were, were being educationally neglected um, by the mother because they were homeschooled. So she oh, just, not homeschooling. Yes, not homeschooling. Jennifer Williams, who is the guardian ad litem, decided that uh, she was going to make a big deal about the fact that she believed the children 
the remaining girls uh, were being educationally neglected. There was no evidence of this. Uh, Cindy Haynes was forced to put them into public school because of the Guardian. And in public school, both of them, one of them, uh, Michaela, actually was put into a higher grade than she was than age wise because she was so smart. And they both made the honor roll. So it was clearly baloney. Now I've seen the evidence of that. I've seen the report cards. This, this is, this is totally, you know, I have all the evidence. Jennifer Williams is only a complaint about the mother and getting those kids taken away from her was about educational neglect. She admitted in an email that nothing that she saw in the house was hotlineable. So in other words, she couldn't call the child abuse hotline on anything because her mother wasn't an abuser. But she decided to uh, testify to have the children removed from her anyway. And in, and you know who she wanted to put them with? Chuck Haynes, the convicted sodomizer's mother, who was a an enabler. She was 94 years old, first of all. She to, she wanted to put two children with a 94-year-old woman who would give her son liberal visitation. And she even said on the court record, she knew that Bernice Haynes had a bad history of supervising her son. But despite that, they were still going to give the children to her. And they did. They gave Michaela Haynes and her little sister to Bernice Haynes, who was a 94-year-old enabler of, for a child sodomizer. At this time, uh, Charles Haynes was on, uh, he was awaiting trial for what he did to Melissa. So he was out of jail. He wasn't in jail. And he was uh, had access to the girls whenever he wanted it. During this time, he sexually molested uh, Michaela. And uh, she was started to cut herself. Uh, she was so despondent. She started to cut herself and she was taken to the hospital. The hospital, the doctor said, there's no way she's going back to that house. Clearly there's something wrong going on, but they wouldn't put her back with her mother either because Jennifer Williams kept saying that her mother was somehow neglecting them somehow. It, it, it made no sense. There was no record, no evidence of any abuse at her mother's house. So this poor child now got put into foster care and her little sister. Now, now they get put into foster care. They had it. She, she was begging to come home, begging to come home, begging to come to her mom's house at foster care. She disclosed to her foster mother that Charles Haynes had uh, raped her, not raped her, but had molested her as well. And we were not actually even sure because she didn't go into details. And one of the reasons why is because she saw what her sister Melissa went through with the constant interviews and all the forensic interviews and everything that she had to do, plus testify in front of uh, in a courtroom against her father that she did not want to do that. She made it very clear that she she knew, and I have a recording of her saying this in one of these meetings, she knew if she said anything about being abused, that she would have to go through what Melissa went through, and she wasn't going to do that. So she was refusing to disclose to anyone except her foster mother, who was not a mandated reporter, right? She's just a uh -huh. uh, you know, a, a foster mom. and um, But she wrote it in a diary, things that had happened to her. And it was horrifically sad. And um, everyone ignored it. They all knew they I have recordings of these people in social services, looking at this journal of hers reading through the entries. And every single one of them knew what was going on. They all knew that she had been molested by this man. And they still allowed uh, the guardian ed litem to petition for this father to have visitation with Michaela. She ended up killing herself because of it. She said that she wasn't going to allow this to happen to her again. And she hung herself. Now, this story is not over because her little sister, who is now getting to the age that Charles Haynes likes his victims, 12 years old, they're going after her for visitation with a man convicted 
of of sodomy of child sodomy and now and this man is responsible for the death of his other 14 year old daughter now they want what do they want they want the other one to kill herself too it, it is sick um after my press inquiry to Jennifer Williams, she stepped off the case. That was something that the lawyers had been trying, that Cindy Haynes's lawyers had been trying to get her to do for a really long time. And one press inquiry from me and Jennifer Williams dropped it. She, she stepped off the case. Bernice Haynes also got off of, she also dropped her claim. Um, and so now, uh, Cindy Haynes has a good lawyer who is fighting for her and fighting for her daughter. Um, but Carrie Smith, at the Marler Law Firm in Missouri is fighting for the right of a child sodomizer to have access to another child. They want her to have prison visits with him. They, I, I have no idea why they want this. And they're actually considering, they're saying that he has parental rights. He has not given up his parental rights. So he has rights and he has visitation rights. But the state of Missouri, the law says that he doesn't. The law says that anyone convicted of the type of crime that he's been convicted of has given up their parental rights. And I've shown this to, I've shown the law. I wrote it in the article. It's right there for anyone to see. And, and, and unbelievably, even though it's against the law, the judges in these cases, and Cindy's had about six of them, they keep recusing themselves. This has been going on for 11 years. She's been in court trying to divorce this man for 11 years, and no one will let her divorce a child sodomizer. The judges continue to allow attorneys like Carrie Smith, corrupt immoral attorneys like Carrie Smith to argue that a child sodomizer deserves parental rights when the state of Missouri says he doesn't. This is how bad it is in Missouri. Sorry, Margaret. I know this is a terrible it's story. Just, it's a horrific story. There's one thing that you just need to understand. There are people out there who are really bad. And there's one sentence you've said to me, because I've seen this. I've had, I've had conversations with so many different people about different issues. And there's one statement that always gets said and it always makes me sick to my stomach. And you said it. She's getting to an age he likes them. At 12 years old we have to stop the bullcrap this is an issue that should unite everyone this is an issue that's affecting lives and the girl killed herself all the stuff you talk about on social media today and tomorrow and this weekend when you listen to the show just think about what you talk about what you're outraged by and then think about this story and let's just whether you're a Christian, I'll say I am a Christian. I make no bones about it. You know, maybe we have to just sort of do a bit of self-reflecting and looking inwards and go, have we got our priorities straight? Yes, the left are a problem. Never said they're not. But let's just take a bit of a reset and say, hey, are our priorities in order? Because priority number one should be are the most vulnerable in society who cannot protect themselves. But I want to shift focus just for the last couple of minutes of the show for people who are, hopefully there's not anybody listening to this show, but I'm, I'm, I know there will be, who are in a situation maybe similar to this, who are, I'm, I'm in this situation or I know someone's in this situation and we have problems and I want to give you some advice. And I want to 
give you because Megan wrote a great article. She had a guest on her show. I'll link to it again in the description. But she actually shared some great advice. It's not legal advice. We're not attorneys, but it's something that we need to talk about. And the first one, this is illegal. You know, I'm Mr. Constitution. I'll tell you what's legal and what's not legal. The first piece of advice is always, um, she titles it, court orders magically changed. Here's how to stop it. What's your advice? Yeah, so many litigants who have been in family court have told me um, that they've seen court orders disappear or the court order that they walked away with wasn't the same one that was in the uh, computer later. Um, so she, she, Carolyn Devers is someone who went through this as a um, litigant, and now she's a family court activist in Missouri. And she suggests that litigants in family court uh, make sure that you get, as soon as a court order is signed, you get screenshots and photographs or copies or all three as soon as possible. And if you have a record of the original order before any change was made, you can prove that it was tampered with, or you can prove that it disappeared if you had a, a hard copy. So you must start doing that immediately. And that's illegal. Just there's no, there's no. This is not a like the general welfare clause. Well, it's open to interpretation. What do you mean by general welfare? If you tamper with a legal document, that's a crime. And I don't know what the punishments are in different states, but it's it's not. It's a, it's like a serious crime, right? Yes, it's a crime. Uh, but we're dealing with a criminal system here. This is not, um, this is not your, you know, this is not a, a Boy Scout system where they're, they're on the honor system and they're doing things all on the up and up. We, our court system in family courts has devolved into a cabal of criminals. So you have to know that going in and you have to do what you can to mitigate that and, and, and fight against it. So number two piece of advice, use your motions to strike a, a guardian ad litem. What's this mean? Okay, so you have in Missouri, at least, and in other states, too, you just have to look up what the rules are. Litigants have 10 days in Missouri from when they're assigned a guardian ad litem to strike her from the case. You need to research that guardian and talk to people who've had experience with that person. And if there are concerns that this is a corrupt person who is unfair, who is, uh, you know, you think is on the take, then you can file a motion to strike. If the motion to strike is denied, the litigant will have a record of that motion for an appeal later. A lot of these are about setting up an appeal because you have to go in knowing you're probably going to lose. So you must set your case up for an appeal and you must use your motion to strike so that when you are asked at your appeal, why didn't you strike? You can say, I did. <laughs> you know, I tried. Okay. Number three is it's just short term. Pro se. Pro se. Pro se. Yeah. So pro se, at least that's in America, that's what we call a person who defends themselves. Um, I believe that a, I, it's true that a person who defends himself has a fool for a lawyer. That's a that's a saying that we've had for a long time. It can be true. Uh, litigation is a complex beast. It's very, it's much easier to have a lawyer to help you navigate it. Um, but if your lawyer has taken your money and hasn't filed anything on your behalf and is not fighting for you and you have no money left and you have no, no other option, uh, Devers says that pro se is an option. Um, she said, and I'm quoting, a pro se litigant will be able to file way more and put more, way more evidence in front of a judge. The downfall, of course, of this tactic is that judges can often be biased against pro se litigants and not knowing court decorum and process can hurt you. It's a risk. Um, but some people who are in family court that I've talked to feel that they, that they had nothing left to lose and that it helped them. Number four, record everything. 
everything. And that, that has a few explanation points uh, that I'm saying. Record everything. Everything. Even if, and I'm going to say this, this, I'm not giving you legal advice. And if you take this advice and you get thrown in jail for it, it's not my fault. But if it were me, I'm just going to tell you what I would do. I don't care what the recording laws of the state are. I don't care if it says you can't record because there's privacy in a courtroom, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to get a little device. I'm going to stick it down my shirt and I'm going to record everything that goes on in that, in that uh, courtroom. And I'm going to have it for a rainy day in case I need it. That doesn't mean you go out and you post it anywhere, but if you have it, you know, if you had it and then they change something on the court record or the, the transcripts are not correct because that happens a lot, um, then you have evidence. But if you didn't record it, you won't have evidence. Um, and, and of course, I can't tell you what to do and I can't tell you what laws to break, but I think recording laws are baloney and we have whistleblower protections that if you do break a law while you're um, outing a crime, uh, you're probably more protected than you would be otherwise. But yes, you have to also record all emails all phone conversations, all everything with all of these people, the guardian ad litem, the attorneys involved, everyone record everything. And that's not, that leads perfectly to number five, file everything electronically. Yeah. Deaver says that every motion filed with the court should be done electronically. So there's an electronic timestamp that can't be refuted. Uh, also, don't forget to take screenshots and hard copies for your files in case your motions go missing. Absolutely. And then last but not least, get to know the operating rules of reporting. Yeah, most of the people in the court system um, are mandated reporters. You have to know your state laws on what must be done when reporting child abuse and hold your mandated reporters to it. If a guardian ad litem or other court actor does not report disclosures of child abuse properly, you can make a record and file it with the court. The family court judge may not do anything about it, but when you appeal the ruling later, you have evidence that the operating rules were not followed. And in an appeal, that, that means a lot. Absolutely. Megan, before I give my just final thoughts, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find your work? I write on pjmedia.com almost every day. You can find me there. I have a podcast there also if you're a VIP subscriber. And if you want a discount on that, it's FOX is my promo code for a discount. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Megan Fox writer. Uh, I'm also on Gab at Megan Fox. And, uh, you know, if you want to email me, my email is on pjmedia.com as well. If you have one of these stories, if you need someone to tell your story, um, reach out to me and I'll see if I can help. America, I just want to spend just two last points with, with you. A lot of people who I listen to are like law enforcement, like the system, like the court system, want to believe everything and give them the benefit of the doubt. I support some of them as well. I like your police. I think police try to do good, but you know that doesn't mean they're sacred cows or shouldn't be questioned. You always protect yourself. As someone who understands the Constitution, get a lawyer, protect your rights, go do everything you can. Be recorded if you can. Get all these transcripts. Do everything to protect yourself. doesn't mean the system won't work. It might and might not. But don't ever put yourself in a situation where you can't. The second thing I want to finish up with, we've spoken a lot about government. And we've spoken about a lot of these stories. There's a lot of big thing missing in all these stories. Families, individuals, churches, charities. You, we can solve all these problems. But we need to understand that we are dealing with a fundamental complex problem. And that is the role of government. For many on left and right today, it's government is the solution. It's just we differ. No, government is the problem. Government should be removed. Government should be taken out a lot of the time. What we need to do in this case 
is, you know, things like child services and foster agencies or getting judges involved and pretending they're gods. That's the case of breaking case of emergency. That's the last resort, not the first. It's not the ace up the sleeve, as Megan said. We can change these things. We need to understand your voice is powerful. You can change things. And I finished this show the way we do in each and every week. The sentiments of Stouffville. America is great because Americans are good. That's each and every one of you. You're not great because of Trump or Biden or the left or right. You're great because and exceptional because of your ideals and because of your people acting. Please never, ever forget the power you hold. And this show is so important. Please share it with your family and friends or anyone you know who might be interested. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.